1 Kings this afternoon. We are in chapter 17. There are notes in the back if you missed them. I'm sorry I got them out a little late, but thank you, Gabriel, for helping me get those distributed. But 1 Kings 17, we're going to pick up uh, with the second half of the portion that I read this morning. We were looking at, uh, all. obviously, we've been looking at giving so far in January. We looked at excelling in giving last week and having joy in giving. And this morning, we looked at miraculous giving and went deep into uh, what First Kings 17 can tell us about giving and how God has designed it and intends uh, it to be for Christians. And just to kind of get you back into it, I'm not going to assume everybody was here this morning or was listening this morning. So just to get you back to where we were, in 1 Kings 17, we find Elijah. Now, so that you understand the time in Israel's history, King David has been dead over about 100 years at this point. Uh, after Solomon died some 40, 50 years later, uh, his son made some foolish choices, and the kingdom was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, known as Israel and Judah. And the 19 northern kings were all bad. They were wicked men uh, that led the, their kingdom in idolatry. Uh, eight out of the 20 kings in Judah were good kings. At least God had some good things to say about the, those kings. They weren't perfect. They had their faults. But they weren't at all like the other uh, 12 in the southern kingdom or the 19 in the northern kingdom. And of all those 19 kings, Ahab seems to be the worst of all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to, so, that he did more to anger the Lord than all the kings that were before him. Which, by the way, here's some homework for you. If you go back and read Ahab's family and hit... Not Ahab, excuse me. That's Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. My mind is at its capacity today, all right? I'm afternoon service. You just never know what will happen. But Ahab, if you look at Ahab's grandfather and father and those guys, those were some wicked men. And yet Ahab was worse even than they were. So uh, some bad, bad leadership, which, by the way, should be an encouragement to all of us also. Uh, these were some wicked leaders. And yet, uh, God still had things uh, in control. So Ahab was a terrible, wicked king. He, was, uh, he brought Baal worship in. His wife Jezebel was a, 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 just an atrocious woman, committed conspiracy in Ahab's name, had a man murdered just to give Ahab his vineyard. Uh, and so, nine years into Ahab's reign, Elijah shows up and prays and declares that it will not rain, there will be no rain, for three and a half years. And God uh, brings Elijah into hiding, because of course Ahab and Jezebel have it out for Elijah after that. And he starts out hiding at the brook Cherith, where, as you may have learned in Sunday school, he drank water out of the brook, and ravens brought him food. Uh, farm to table, I guess. I'm not sure how that worked. Exactly, but somehow God supplied for his needs through the birds and the stream. Well, eventually the brook dried up and God sent Elijah to a place called Zarephath, which is, by the way, where Jezebel is from. 
It's in her homeland. So God sends Elijah into Jezebel's territory, if you will. And we find that in 1 Kings 17, 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. That's where we stopped this morning. This is where we're going to pick it up this afternoon. Verse 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. I told you this morning we would be looking at seven principles of giving from 1 Kings 17. And we have three remaining to cover this afternoon. But by way of review, uh, since we're considering her miraculous giving in the life of this widow woman, you recall we looked at the situation of giving, how she was facing famine, facing grief, facing obligation, facing starvation. Giving didn't depend upon her circumstances or what she was going through at the time. God commanded her to give in spite of her situation. We saw the sequence of giving, how she was to, to give before the solution, before themselves, feed the prophet first, before substantiation, before she even saw God fulfill his promise, she was called to give, and before the supernatural happened, she was called to give. We saw the specificity of, specificity of giving, uh, specificity, there we go, of giving, Giving was specific in its purpose. She knew what it, was, what it was for, where it was going. It was specific in its portion. She knew how much. She even knew, by the word of the prophet, how long in its period. 
giving is specific. And we saw the supplier in giving, that the promise of the Lord, that the cruise and the barrel will not fail. The proving by the Lord. We notice there that not only was the faith of the widow being proven, but also the faith of the prophet who showed up expecting to be fed and found that Mother Hubbard's cupboards were empty. Can you imagine that? Proving by the Lord, and then the provision of the Lord that God did exactly as He said He would do. God's design and desire is that our giving be miraculous. And so the question for all of us is, is it? Does your giving reflect the kind of giving that is bolstered by God's grace, that is buoyed up in faith and even blind to the circumstances of life? A father gave his little girl two dollars, and he said, you can do anything you want with one of the dollars, but the other dollar belongs to the Lord. With joy, she ran to the candy store, and on the way she tripped, and one dollar fell and flew into the storm drain. She got up, dusted herself off, and said, well, Lord, there went your dollar. And we laugh, but how often the modern Christian said, well, Lord, there went your dollar. Because we don't understand the wonder of miraculous giving. Now, giving to most is a mundane, methodical, managed expense brought on by the passing of a plate, the prodding of the preacher, promises and pledge campaigns, and the desire to quiet your own conscience. And folks, that's shallow and empty and a sorry substitute for the kind of miraculous giving that the Scriptures teach us about. God wants so much more for you than that even in your giving. Samuel Chadwick said, I am persuaded that there is nothing upon which the Christian conscience is so ill-informed as the subject of Christian giving. And I will contest also that that's not the fault of the Scriptures, but rather the fault of the sermonizers. There is something we're missing when it comes to giving. Another man pointed out that nearly half the parables, uh, parables that Jesus told have the use of money as their main subject. It is sometimes said that we should give until it hurts, but Jesus teaches us that it should hurt if we do not give. And my goal in emphasizing giving is to not withhold from you the wondrous teaching of miraculous giving as the Bible declares it time and time and time again. But what you have to realize as a church member, and I have to realize also in my own personal life, in my own testimony, is that this kind of giving cannot be done in comfort. This kind of giving cannot be done in comfort. A hog and a hen were sharing the same barnyard and they heard about the church's program to feed the hungry. And so they both discussed how they might participate in that program. And the hen said, I've got it. 
we could provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. The hog thought about the suggestion for a moment and then replied, there's one problem with your bacon and eggs solution. For you, it only requires a contribution, but from me, it requires total commitment. <laughs> Folks, that's exactly what true biblical grace giving requires of us. Total commitment. Total commitment and confidence that what God has promised, He will perform. And this woman in our Second Kings, our First Kings, chapter seventeen, rather, this woman. We don't even know her name. We just know where she was from. She was used of God through miraculous giving, and she learned, first of all, as we continue, the significance in giving. The significance in giving. There's significance in giving when you are giving to the Lord. Verse 15 and 16 say, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. There's three areas in which we find that her giving was significant. First, she was employed for God's purpose. This woman was employed by, for God's purpose. She was utilized by God. Giving puts you in the path of the purposes of God. Do you want to be useful and used by him? One of the ways you can ensure that you are is to be giving biblically. Why are we so content to let our money and stuff sit around and collect dust and do nothing when we could be giving and see God put it to a better and eternal use? George Mueller is one of my heroes of the faith. If you don't know George Mueller's story, you need to read his autobiographies, and the things that he published because his example is one of simply depending upon the Lord. He never asked for an offering. He didn't even take a salary as a pastor. And he oversaw the construction and facilitating of homes that housed thousands of orphans, never once taking an offering, but just praying and depending on the Lord to provide. And the man lived hand to mouth depending on the Lord. Incredible testimony of dependence upon the Lord. And he built those orphanages with cash and without one time saying, would you give to this? And this is what he said. He said, treasures laid up on earth bring along with them many cares. For example, all the winterizing that you've had to be doing Treasures on earth bring many cares, right? Treasures laid up in heaven never give care. Treasures laid up on earth never can afford spiritual joy. Treasures laid up in heaven bring along with them peace and joy in the Holy Ghost even now. Treasures laid up on earth in a dying hour can afford no peace nor comfort. And when life is over, they are taken from us. Treasures laid up in heaven draw forth thanksgiving that we were permitted and counted worthy to serve the Lord with the means which, which he was, with which he was pleased to entrust us as stewards. And when this life is over, over, we are not deprived of what was laid up there. But when we go to heaven, we go to the place where our treasures are, and we shall find them there. 
A woman met a friend of her father's who had not seen him for many years. The woman's father was a Christian, a good, faithful Christian man. So she found a lot of satisfaction and joy in catching up with this man and telling him all about her dad's trust in the Lord and the way he faced his sufferings and trials and even uh, his death. The friend, however, had lived a very different kind of life. His main pursuit was earning money and holding on to every cent he could. And he had become a very wealthy man, but he did not have the same anticipation of the future as his friend did. And he explained it to the girl this way. Your father could be more optimistic about heaven than I for a very simple reason. He was going to his treasure and I'll be leaving mine. One of the miraculous aspects of giving is that giving puts you in the path of God's purpose. And God will employ your giving for His purposes, which gives significance to your wealth that the world could never give it. She was employed for God's purposes. She was enabling God's provision. God provided for Elijah through this woman. As I said this morning, and I think it's very plain in Scripture, God uses His people to provide for His church. That's the way He set it up. And He'd like you to be part of that. Frankly, He'll do it without you. But He'd like you to be part of it. And this woman enabled God's provision for his prophet. A.W. Tozer said, and I quoted him in passing a week ago, he said, I do not think I exaggerate when I say that some of us put our offering in the plate with a kind of triumphant bounce as to say, there, now God will feel better. He goes on to say, I am obliged to tell you that God does not need anything you have. He does not need a dime of your money. It is for your own spiritual welfare that is at stake in such matters as these. You have the right to keep what you have all to yourself, but it will rust and decay and ultimately ruin you. You could enable the hand of God. He doesn't need your help. He really doesn't. But since he's in the business of providing anyway, wouldn't it be something to be the one used for that purpose? John Blanchard said, when we give to God, we are taking the gift out of one of his hands and putting it into the other. What an absolute privilege and pleasure it is to be the answer to someone's prayer. What a miraculous thing that God could take your giving and manifest it as a literal miracle in someone else's life. Taking it from one of God's hands and putting it in the other. She was employed for God's purpose. She was enabling God's provision. And also, she was encouraging God's prophet. 
She was encouraging God's prophet. God put this woman in a position to care for Elijah. I expect and, and anticipate she was probably much better company and a much better cook than the ravens that had given him food before. I expect that at Cherith, it might have been a little bit of a lonely experience for Elijah. And we see in Elijah's life that he was kind of prone to feel that way. And God used this woman to encourage his prophet. It must have been a comfort to Elijah to have a home to live in, to have an adult to talk to and a young man to invest in, a table to eat at. God would use you to care for others if you'd open up your pocketbook and give. Charles Spurgeon said, As you have done unto others, so will the Lord do unto you. Empty your pockets. That's a direct quote. Oftentimes, we think along those principles, but somehow there's a mental block when it involves money. As you've done unto others, so the Lord will do unto you. Empty your pockets. Miraculous giving matters. It means something. It leaves an impact. Why? Because God will give significance to that kind of giving. Is your giving miraculous? Maybe if it's not, that's why it hasn't felt very significant. Maybe that's why it hasn't been making much of an impact even on you up until this point, because God gives significance to miraculous giving. But then notice the suffering in giving. The suffering in giving. Here, the story takes a turn. It says in verse 17, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him up unto his mother and said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. I've included this part of the story to remind you of a difficult reality of life. Giving does not shield you from suffering. Giving does not shield you from the sufferings of this life. God does not promise sunshine and rainbows to those who give. And we see that very clearly illustrated in 1 Kings 17. There's three observations regarding this woman's suffering. Notice a mother's 
pain. A mother's pain. The woman had already buried her husband. And now, while the prophet of the Lord is living under her roof, she is faced with the death of her only child. There's no greater pain for a parent than the loss of your child. That's a pain that I know nothing about. I've never had to face it. But I know those that have. And this woman, get this, this woman, though she exercised great faith, and gave what little she had, and was used of God in a miraculous way, watched her son die. The preachers that stand in their pulpits and declare that if you give, and if you serve, and if you have faith, God's protection will be over you, and nothing will harm you, and peace and prosperity will follow you are liars and con artists. That is not what God has promised. That is not how God incentivizes miraculous giving. It is so much better than that. There will be suffering regardless of your obedience in the area of giving. But notice, not only a mother's pain, but a man's prayer. A man's prayer. Elijah is used in the book of James as an example of the incredible power of prayer. And here we see another incredible example of it. When faced with a terrible situation, what did Elijah do? He prayed. He prayed. Prayer always is an answer. Pray always. Pray about everything. Put yourself in God's hand. Seek His face. Desire to know His will. Give your gift and then pray for the promised provision of God. Many Christians are not giving because they're not praying, and many are not praying because they're not really giving. And your giving should and could put you in the position of prayer. They go hand in hand. Give to the Lord. Throw out the challenge. Keep your promises, O God, and pray Pray, pray like Elijah did. John Newton once said, if you had a little money to spare, would you not lend it to me if I assured you that it should be repaid when you want it? I can point out to you better interest and better security than I could ever give you. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor and lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. What think you of this text, said John Newton? Is it the word of God or not? Give and pray. Pray and give. Is he real or not? Is his word true or not? Is it faithful or not? Your giving is not very miraculous if it requires no answers to prayer. And they go hand in hand. We see the man's prayer and the mother's pain. And then we see the miracle performed that God, for the second time in this chapter, does the impossible. By the way, this is the first time in Scripture that anyone is raised from the dead. And God did it on behalf of a Gentile widow. 
put yourself in a position of complete and utter dependence upon the Lord, and even your tragedies can be turned into victories. Henry Crowell is a good example of this. He contracted tuberculosis as a boy, but he heard D.L. Moody preach. And after the sermon, he prayed, Lord, I can't be a preacher, but I could be a good businessman. And God, if you will let me make money, I will use it in your service. Henry Crowell started the Quaker Oats Company, and he consistently gave 60 to 70% of his income to the Lord. Oh, the miracles that God could work in your life through the grace of giving. Think about that. Think about this, that you could live not just moment to moment, but literally miracle to miracle as you steward the Lord's riches. I dare say that there are very few that truly live miracle to miracle in dependence on the Lord. The suffering in giving, the significance in giving, and then the satisfaction in giving. There's four ways that she found satisfaction because of her giving. And the first is that she witnessed God's provision. She witnessed God's provision. God commanded her to give, and that enabled her to go right on giving. I, like I said this morning, I would have loved to know how that worked. I would love to know if she went to her cupboards every morning and found that there was still meal in the bottom of that barrel. I don't know if it filled up all the way to the top. I kind of imagine it. I imagine it, like I say, that, you know, she just, every time she opened it, there was the same amount. Doesn't make any sense, but I'll make some more. Next day, there it is again. And God just kept enabling and enabling and enabling her giving. Givers get to watch God provide in unique and incredible ways. In baking that little cake for Elijah, she placed herself in God's hands, and he provided for her beyond her imagination. She went from gathering up a couple of sticks so they could literally eat their last meal to eating for years. Plenty. Provided for. He provided beyond her imagination. Givers get to watch God provide in unique and incredible ways. George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, but the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. She witnessed God's provision. She also watched God's prophet. She watched God's prophet. Elijah lived with this woman. And you can tell by her language in verse 18 that she had watched him. She had determined that he was indeed what he claimed to be. Her giving allowed her to be close to what God was doing through Elijah. The drought they were in was because of Elijah's prayers. Her son was revived in answer to Elijah's prayer. Here was a man, if you read the whole account of his life, 
Here was a man who was standing practically alone for God in a very dark time in Israel's history. And she got to have him under her roof and have dinner with him and listen to him and talk to him and hear him pray, giving to God and investing in the work of the church and the ministry. It puts you in the front row of seeing what God is up to in the world. It's, it's your refresher every Sunday that though work might not be going the way that you would hope it's going, and once again, they're having to make some cuts and the interest rates are throwing everything out of whack and I'm not getting the sales that I would normally get or, or the news just constantly one thing after another and what are they up to over here now and what's this politician up to? But when you come to church and you see what God is doing and you, you had a part in that, that's your weekly refresher. In spite of the nation that she lived in and the time in history, famine and drought and death and wickedness everywhere, she got to have the man of God under her roof and see firsthand God's purposes and plans. Why? Because she gave. It puts you in a front row seat of God's work in the world. And she wondered at God's power. God made her jars Never run out. May he give me this, right? You ever prayed like that, Lord? You know, I understand this is not the way you do things anymore, but if I could have those shoes that the Israelites had, and you know, the jars that never ran out, that's all, I would live with that. I would be content with clothes that never wore out and barrels of food that never ran dry. She got to watch God's power in action. God made her jars of oil and meal never run out. God brought her son back to life. This woman, at the beginning of the chapter, placed herself at God's disposal and witnessed firsthand his power. And if she had said to the prophet, I'm sorry, I got to feed my boy. I can't do what you're asking me she would have had her last meal. But she placed herself at God's disposal and witnessed for years His power. Wouldn't you like to experience some of that firsthand? I understand this is not... We, you don't have Elijah sitting under your roof, but... I do believe that there's some of this power available to your household today if you would avail of it, avail yourself of it. Because what I see when I look at the church in large in America is this. I see shallow-minded, scripture-starved, but well-meaning Christians that are just begging God, would you just make yourself real to me? Would you just show me yourself? You want to know how God can be real to you every single day of your life? If you will put yourself, and I mean all of yourself in God's hand, and give boldly and courageously and completely to Him, and He will manifest His power in and through your life, and you will live miracle to miracle. It might not seem like a lot to everyone else, but you will know in your heart of hearts that God provided for you and God met your needs and God answered your prayer and you won't have any problem wondering whether or not God is actually real because He's coming through for you every 
single day of your life. That's the way God desires us to live. That's the kind of Christian experience that he offers to us. And she wondered at God's power. And then we find she worshiped God with praise. This pagan Gentile woman who, if you look back, referred to Elijah's God as Elijah's God, your God, ends up praising God herself. She says, now by this, I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She declared, Elijah, God is using you, and the word of the Lord is truth. She was right. He is the Lord, and his word is truth. All of us, I believe, want to know God better, to know him more. And one of the ways that we miss out is by not depending on him more. If you want to know God better, like this woman did, depend on him more. Give more to him. Allow yourself to be utilized by him and watch just how true and faithful he shows himself to be in your life. Don't be satisfied with the shallow emptiness of, ah, you know, I'll just moment by moment. When from Scripture, time and time and time and time again, God gives us examples of people literally, literally living Miracle to miracle. In faith. By the direction of the Lord. As His grace. Grew them. In the area of giving. How closely does your giving. Even your. Just your attitude in giving. Coincide. With this example of miraculous giving. From 1 Kings 17. We marvel at the miracles of God wrought in the lives of ordinary people all throughout Scripture, and how much we miss out on the miracles of God because we don't have the same confident, childlike faith in God as all these ordinary people did that just took God at His word and did what He said. What has God revealed to you today about this area of your giving. Is it miraculous? Are you still satisfied with it up to this point? This is a, a, a honest, genuine question. You might come away from these messages and think, you might just be encouraged. That's the way I've been doing it. Praise God, this is true in my life. You might come away satisfied. My goal is not to strong arm you into changing something. My question is sincere. Are you still satisfied with your giving? Or is there a decision that God has called you to make? I would encourage you, don't let the devil snatch away the seed. He'll do it. Make some decisions right now and today. Is your giving miraculous or not? And what has God been impressing upon your heart even today? 
what decisions would you have to make? We're gonna, I'm just going to ask the piano to start playing. We're, normally we wouldn't do an invitation in the afternoon, but I think this message lends us to take some time and make some decisions, commit some things to the Lord so that we don't go away having forgotten what we've heard.